Cannabis Business Minds, we train and mentor professionals, entrepreneurs, and aspiring entrepreneurs on how to confidently find their place in the legal cannabis and hemp industries. Come on and join us at CannabisBusinessMinds.com. I'm excited to get you on the podcast because you know compliance a lot. I think you know compliance more than the average person. Thank you. Yeah, right. The average professional, I would even say I'm an accountant. I feel like I know I know a lot about corporate compliance. But mm-hmm. when you unpack cannabis compliance, we're unpacking a lot. We're unpacking packaging. We're unpacking seats. That was no pun intended. Seats and sale tracking. Right. We're on, you know, we are inventory. We are waste management. We are so much. And so I guess mm-hmm. let's kick the podcast off with kind of understanding Logan with your perspective, like what is cannabis compliance? Well, to me, cannabis compliance uh, is not only about protecting the the public, um, but also protecting the industry. So most people will say that compliance is sort of a happy medium between uh, industry needs and public needs. Uh, identified by government and work groups about what the public actually needs. Now, to me, uh, cannabis compliance or compliance in general really starts with the first five elements that have been identified within the scope of uh, legislation. And that is um, public health, Mm. safety, Mm. welfare, economics, and morals. Um, And that tends to be the legislative declaration in every single single state. Um, Now, the declaration, of course, the the first thing is the title of the statute. Uh, And then the second uh, second paragraph is usually the need for the the statute. And that that's literally where all the rules come from is to meet those five elements. Now, uh, when we look at compliance in general, there's a lot in there, mm-hmm. right? Um, a lot that safety, morals, health, economics, and uh, welfare tend to be very broad categories. Um, to me personally, I tend to take the perspective that compliance has four direct metrics. Uh, it has ears, it has um, education uh, as the first component, uh, assistance, uh, not only to the company, but to the public, resources that we provide, um, such as uh, knowledge, tools, uh, ways to measure and identify. Uh, what is going on, and then uh, skill, skill buildings. Uh, And that's an acronym I use called EARS, Education, Mm -hmm. Assistance, Resources, and Skills. Uh, Education's the start of it, and getting employees with the right skills is the the final result. Okay. Um, I mean, that's, it's good. And I think what tends to be, because that's like, the framework of what compliance is, but if Mm -hmm. we had to dive into the actual details of that kind of hierarchy of like what the compliance surrounds, the welfare, the economics, all of that, the safety, Mm -hmm. how how do you explain somebody to somebody who has never been in compliance, like what they really need to be thinking about as a cannabis operator? That compliance is goodwill. 
um, you know, not only are you looking at what the industry needs are, um, but you're also looking at the public needs. Uh, a lot of compliance is made not specifically for the industry. And I think that's why industries become so upset, not just cannabis, um, but uh, many other industries. Uh, so finance and even dog food or woodworkers are all under different compliance regulations. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, the best way to explain it is that it's a compromise, right? Mm -hmm. It's a compromise between what you want to do as a business and what the public, those who are not in your business, um, want, want as well. Um, and just like a lot of compromises, no one's, nothing's going to be perfect, right? Yeah. There's always going to be development uh, on both sides uh, between the two. Um, you know, people in business, um, they, I don't, <laughs> I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but um, business does not just operate by itself. Um, you have consumers, you have customers, you have vendors, um, you have the public good that you're always working with, uh, whether that be roads or power um, or, uh, you know, uh, telecommunication space for advertising and being able to work with all those other industries, all those other entities, um, that's where compliance kind of comes in. So that's another building block. It's really the, the glue that holds uh, the industries together. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way of, of painting it. And I always think about when I mapped out from a finance perspective, you know, what does a business need to be aware of? You know, the two big risks that a cannabis business in my mind had was there's the public safety, right? So that's all the health related stuff, the manufacturing protocols, like everything of like, how do we make sure that this product is safe? It's good. It's packaged mm -hmm. accordingly. Kids don't get it, all that stuff. Right. And then like that, that's a huge one. The next one is in my mind, the big risks that, you know, government is trying to mitigate is trafficking, is mm -hmm. everything related to the cool memo, making sure that, you know, we are not getting yeah, cannabis in the hands of cartels. We are not, you know, that mm -hmm. we're able to track that cannabis. How, you know, those are the two big fronts that I see. When we get into the detail of looking at the regulation and we, we unpack like, okay, there's the packaging, there's the inventory, there's all these sections. Mm -hmm. Like how can you give us an overview from your experience? Cause you've worked in compliance. You were at the very beginning in, in Colorado working in compliance of what business ought to prioritize. Cause there's so much, you know, you look at those rules, you look at the regulation, of mm -hmm. course, every business needs to have that printed out, understood. But when we analyze the impact that it could that it can make, you know, maybe, you know, you can. I've always said like it's very hard to be one hundred percent compliance. It's yeah. it's so. I'm going to throw that ball into your court. It's very hard to be one hundred percent compliant. We know that there are so many regulations for businesses to have. What do we do? Like, how right. do we solve that problem? Well. It takes uh, it takes a lot of knowledge, really. It takes a lot of perspective and teamwork. Um, just like you said, Simone, uh, no one can be one hundred percent compliance. Uh, uh, no one that's that's an impossible goal, really. 
Um, one hundred percent is you know that's that's noetic goal of everything that exists, right? But yeah. you're not gonna make a chair that's one hundred percent exactly like the idea of a chair. Yeah. Um, you know that's that's just the way life is. Um, so you always strive for one hundred percent, and you get close enough that you can continue to operate, right? Um, it's going to be, you get to 90%, then you want to get to 91%, 92%. Um, you always want to build that, uh, taking another step forward. Um, but compliance is also focused on different aspects, depending on the state. Mm-hmm. So right now we're looking at in California, for example, uh, there's still the tracking there. There's more focus on the seed to sell tracking, uh, through metric, through other external means, um, you know, in in California, for example, there is um, an emphasis on the distributor, so tracking where product is going. Mm-hmm. Now, in a state like Colorado, mm-hmm. um, there is a huge emphasis on product safety and testing, mm-hmm. and we're seeing that go continue to go on. Colorado is the first state that's mandated. Uh, corrective action and preventive action plans. It's the first state that's uh, required um, recall plans and uh, SOPs to be on file with the state as well. Uh, And then in another state like Illinois, um, their focus is more on the social equity component. How does this affect disproportionate communities? Uh, What's the actual economic impact that's going to continue to occur? Uh, Is this going to be a growth industry for our, uh, for our state? Um, So there is, you know, there's, there's a lot of different focuses between each state. Now, it's interesting also that you brought up trafficking. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, you know, that, that perspective as well as, is going to probably be changing, changing um, pretty much in the in the near future. Um, there are actually three bills within Congress right now um, that that might uh, change the scope of uh, interstate uh, cannabis uh, transportation. Can you allude to any of these? I know you're not a lawyer, but like just a little preview here. Yeah, well, I'm not a lawyer, but I've done a lot of lobbying. Um, So the the three, the first one would be that most people are aware of is the um, the Marijuana Opportunity and Reconciliation Act, or otherwise known as the Moore Act. Uh, the Moore Act was introduced uh, last year as well in 2000, um, but it died in uh, in committee, and then uh, it's been reinduced uh, this year as well. Uh, now the Moore Act uh, has been introduced by the Democrat Party, which is the minority party in the Senate, so the majority in House of Representatives, um, minority. In the Senate, um, so it's usually the Senate that that you're going to see that bill die in. Now, the second one is known as the Cannabis uh, Opportunity and Administrative Act, or the COA. Now, the COA has the the interesting thing about the COA is that it's actually been introduced into the Senate by the Republicans. 
And this marks the first time that a majority party in the Senate has actually introduced a bill related to cannabis. Um, now, you, it's always been this, this, the Safe Baking Act or um, a lot of the other bills that have tried to make cannabis inter, uh, decriminalized have always been by the minority party. Mm. Um, but this is the first time that the majority party in power have introduced their own bill uh, on this. Uh, which That's means promising. that, yeah, which means that there has been a reckon, uh, that that there has been recognition by both parties because you have both bills now um, alive in the Senate. You have the Democrats uh, Moore Act, you have the Republicans CAO Act, and there's a good chance that you know they're going to hit each other and probably morph into something else, into a, a different act between them um, that would have the same effect, right? They both want to deschedule uh, de um, uh, cannabis from a, from a Schedule 1 um, to a 3. Oh, that's good. Um, 280 goes away if it's a Schedule yeah, 3. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to see we're probably going to see something where they at some point, you know, come together and then have to make a decision about from what bill are they going to, to pull what language from. Um, the third bill is called the MACE Act, and that is introduced by, uh, by uh, Representative MACE. Um, and a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people, refer to this bill as a uh, libertarian dream. Okay. Um, so what it would do is it would deschedule um, marijuana and just leave it to the states and locals to completely regulate. There would be no federal intervention whatsoever. That would be um, amazing. That would be yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. But no one, that that one's probably going to not go yeah. anywhere. Um you know, so the the big thing with the more with the more act is it kind of does give states and locals more authority as well, but it intervenes the the federal um, USDA with the CAO Act. Um, it forces a lot more federal regulation, so the federal government would have uh, first regulation, and then it would trickle trickle down whatever holes they don't feel um from the states and then the locals so yeah. you know it's more is kind of a bottom up and cao is kind of a top down what would you just you know now being on the business side and understanding what it takes to actually be a compliant business and helping operators which one would you think is more favorable for businesses <laughs> you know i think they both would be um i think you know like i said they they both have strengths and weaknesses mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. the way the current model is set up definitely the more act would preserve the current model yeah however um the current model also creates a number of difficulties and holes uh that that are very ambiguous for um for different types of uh operations right um so it doesn't really make a lot of people comfortable mm -hmm. in a lot of businesses successful um, because the, the interpretation um, oh. from the states and the locals uh, really change. 
when you look at so something like the Moore Act would yeah. just keep the the status quo. When you look at the CAO Act, you're probably going to get things like good manufacturing practices in place. Uh, you're going to get uh, requirements that all businesses need to keep corrective action and preventive action plans in place, uh, recall plans. Um, you know, either way, uh, from a business perspective, I, I think they both they'll both be good. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, the the big thing, <laughs> the big thing is as long as they get rid of 280e. Yeah, uh, it's going to be. They're oh, going my, to be my God. Well, it's interesting, though, because I completely agree with you. Thank you for sharing that. And the 280 needs to go away. But even seeing what the proposed federal tax would be, it's mm-hmm. still relatively high. And I think that's like to me, that's such a big issue. I think I've seen like, you know, 25 percent. But obviously, like if you are below a certain revenue Mm-hmm. I think it's like below 20 million or something, it's going to be less. So of course right. you wouldn't have to pay as much as somebody who's making a hundred million. Right. But exactly. if you add that federal tax onto mm-hmm. a state tax, mm-hmm. the profit margin for a cannabis business is not high. And I think that's the big, I, I, I always try to tell people like, you've got to realize that this is not Mm-hmm. And on, it's not like an online business with zero margin, right? right? Or with, with very high margin, like we've got a lot of costs associated mm-hmm. to it. Um, mm-hmm. When you are diving into those bills, is there anything else that you can note about taxes that I maybe missed on a federal level or how, how the tax scheme would work? Because that's where I feel like we really have to fight for these businesses. Right. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you're saying the federal tax, even at 25% federal tax, um, honestly, if you add in a state tax of 15%, which is the highest, mm-hmm. um, you know, then you're looking at uh, about 40% taxes and a local tax of 5%, 45% taxes. That's still lower than what the current, uh, what current businesses are paying, you know, yeah, currently, yeah, currently, because they can't deduct anything, right? The only thing that a business can deduct is cost of good goods yes. sold. Yeah. So anything related to operations, their overhead, their employees, their, their marketing. building. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, they everything. Um that's not deductible. So looking at that, you're you're paying anywhere from 70 to 80% taxes. Yeah. Um, and so when you, you know, yeah, getting even cutting that in half is still successful. It's yeah, it's um, so much better. And it allows yeah. somebody to have more cash flow because the IRS right. bills are so hefty. Exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of businesses, especially here in Colorado, because it was the first state to commercialize mm-hmm. um, marijuana. Um, you know, that we're looking at a lot of audits, both from the state level and from the federal level. Um, The problem is um, that these businesses don't have the capital to meet their tax demands. So they're going into receiverships Um, in a receivership, right? uh, I don't know if you've covered that in your, your, Mm -mm. your podcast before, but you know, receivership is when a court um, after being sued by the government has to appoint a third party uh, and that third party manages 
the company's finance. Um, so, you know, there's there's a number of businesses here in Colorado um, that have already reached that point. Um, and there are risks that California is going to be following the same. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think and a lot of our listeners now are new and more on the East Coast. And so I talked about California so much, especially when I lived there. But one thing that is so unique, and I hope that any new state that hasn't implemented regulation and they haven't actually like thought about the taxation points does not do is what California did, taxing an agricultural business of so the cultivation mm-hmm. tax, plus the excise tax, plus the local tax. It's just like that drains a business so much. I mean, how could you, a normal business, okay, one, like out of like in five years, 80% of startup businesses will fail. Like that is just a statistic. And so you add in cannabis and then you already know it's so much harder taxes and compliance. And so then you think about why, why is it, why are businesses failing? Well, number one reason is market fit. Well, we know cannabis is a market fit, so that's not the reason. The next, you know, the next few all relate to finances, and one of them mm-hmm. is cash flow. And right. it's so it's so important because a it's harder with getting any funding sources, to, you know, outside of you know maybe a network, but a lot of people don't mm-hmm. have that network. And right. yeah, cash cash flow is the most important metric. So I hope that we can see some something new there. Have you? seen or how what's been the word on the street I guess about just businesses saying you know what I am going to put this accrue this in my books say that I you know I I know that I'm going to have this 280 liability but I'm not going to necessarily pay it all because I know some CPAs have that approach I I personally don't feel comfortable with it but I what's have you seen like what's the word on the street there no honestly Um, A lot of these businesses are smaller operators. Um, So they are individuals, I think, just like what we were talking about at the beginning, they're cannabis operators that don't have the business acumen. Um, So they're constantly looking at expanding their business or their operations rather than putting into overhead for something like a 280E um, payment. Um, and so I think that's that's a point that a lot of businesses, the smaller businesses, both in uh, Colorado, California, uh, now in New Mexico and Oklahoma as well, where two other states also that I work in, um, they're all kind of looking at just their startup cost and yeah. what they can do for their employees and what what can they do to continue their operational costs because operational costs are also very high. Um, You know, when you look at trying to control plants in a, or in a controlled environment, which is really what you have to do. um, If you, you know, if you do outdoor growing, then you can only harvest about once or twice a year and that Mm -hmm. doesn't keep up with market demand. So when you do an indoor, um, an indoor controlled environment, you know, your, your cost, especially about energy cost is going to skyrocket. Yeah. Um, cause you're turning lights on 16 hours a day. Um, and then, you know, or more, um, keeping those lights on. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, as far as 280E and tax liability, that kind of that comes at the end 
of these operators uh, mind, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of operators get into it because they had the experience of 20, mm-hmm. 30 years. Now it became uh, legal. So suddenly they're they're just gonna jump at the chance to do that. But the previous 20, 30 years that they had been growing, that they had been selling, um, those those skills don't exist anymore. Um, and that's why they have to build a good team around them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like compliance can't be 100%, your business can't, you cannot be 100% running your business. Oh my God. And I think that's such a good point to touch on is that, you know, are you a owner or are you an owner operator? And what I see, and this is not even cannabis, this is just small business is that it is so tempting. You own your own practice. I own my own practice, right? Like there's a part and we're, we're, we're service-based businesses, but Mm -hmm. there's a part of you wanting to dive deep into your business, especially if you're a cultivator, you've been doing it for 30 years, or if you are jumping from corporate to cannabis and you want to be a grower, you know, you want to get your hands dirty figuratively and metaphorically speaking, but also maybe literally speaking, but there is a, to grow a business successfully, you have to get outside Mm -hmm. of the trees because you like you have to be able to see the forest and that is a very hard thing for businesses for for individuals to do because it's not natural at first you right like you don't feel like you are able to it's not it's it's not a tangible result immediately I think that's what it is right like it's not Mm -hmm. immediately a result but it's going to help you so much in the long run do you have that conversation at all with clients or like how do you help what's I guess what's one piece of advice that you've given a client that really was able to stick that we can share on the podcast oh one piece of advice that I gave a client that really stick about owner operator yeah. <laughs> wow. That's uh, work with your attorney. <laughs> your attorney is not a bad guy. They might recommend something that you don't like, um, that you don't want to hear. Yeah. But usually uh, attorneys or compliance, uh, attorneys usually back up compliance, right? Yeah. Um, the two go hand in hand. Compliance is internal recommendation. Attorneys support that outside and um but work with them you're paying them a lot of money you're paying them 200 400 an hour um listen to what they have to say yeah yeah (laughs) well and i think it's yeah i'm sure everybody's heard this quote and i might be butchering it but the cost that you pay somebody that's an amateur to do it it's going to cost tenfold to fix it. If you had just Mm -hmm. hired a professional in the first place, and I'm seeing this, I'm working with a client right now, literally poor hiring when it came to finance, we're doing two years of work at, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just so much more costly. They've had to pay that person to do it. Now we have to redo it. And it's in this space. I really, really believe it makes so much sense Mm to hire that expert. It's not going to be, you know, what could take an amateur a hundred hours an expert can do in maybe an hour. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as a small operator myself, right. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I, I suck at, <laughs> excuse my language, but I suck at marketing. I suck at, at, at um, bookkeeping. Yeah. So, I mean, those are two areas that I partner with other people, right? Exactly. You know, you get my, you get my name out. Um, I want to focus on doing the compliance, helping you build your GPAs, helping you do your audits keeping uh lobbying and uh keeping aware of new rules and regulations um and keeping your business uh, you know operating but i don't have time to get my name out there and yeah. say hey i can do this for you um and at the same time the the back end you know i don't have a bunch of time to really audit my own books so you know i i partner with uh two other people uh, yeah. to, to help that service and, and a firm, right. I, I partner with, uh, Modi, um, yeah. who, who helps with marketing and bookkeeping. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, and I think the, the interesting thing, it goes back to the owner operator, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're a business owner, you, there's two really cool internal KPIs that I like to look at is like, what's our return on time? Like mm-hmm. you can be helping a client, you can be making, you know, great income for your business by being hands-on with that client. You can outsource bookkeeping at a fraction of the cost. It's going to take you three times to 10 times longer than Mm -hmm. it would the actual person doing it. And so you want to analyze like, what's the return of your time? Like if you have an hour to spend, where are you going to get the most bang for your buck in your business? And it's a hard one. I think that sometimes people think like, oh, but I don't want to spend that much, but in the end it will really help. Another one, have you ever heard of the internal, your internal hourly break even? No, I don't. Yeah, it's okay. It is super cool. Anybody can do it. Uh, Especially it's great for like, if you are an hourly, you know, if you charge by the hour, or if you're kind of uh, service based, is you think about like how much you pay yourself, you think about how much you are spending um, working every week, and the vacation that you want to take over a year, and you just break it down. It's basically high level how much it costs you to pay yourself thinking about your personal budget, all that stuff. And how many hours through for the whole year are you going to work? And then you get to this thing called an hourly break even. And so depending on if you want to take a lot of vacation, depending on your lifestyle, your hourly break even is going to be different, but it's a really good way to be able to decide, should I really do that task? Because if you know your hourly break even, is like, let's say mine's $100 an hour. Well, I should not be spending my time doing bookkeeping when I could leverage somebody at a right. lower price. So it's just those internal metrics we need as a, as a, as I was going to say, as a bookkeeper, not, no, as business owners. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, For- that's, I'm always redeveloping my metrics, right? I mean, yeah. I'll look at something, look at it for a quarter. And then be, well, that's, that's not really working. Keeping that number is not really working for me. Right. Where yeah. do I have to look at, uh, another area, um, to be successful, right? Yes. Is it, mm-hmm. is it my hourly wait rate? Is it my, um, you know, my time I'm spending on just writing SOPs or doing mm-hmm. audits, you know, um, is licensing another factor that's, uh, that's really being helpful. So absolutely, you know, and then reaching out and, uh, and getting that, that outside help, right. Um, being able to say, okay, I'm, I'm spending way too much time 
on bookkeeping. Uh, <laughs> and that's because that's not my, you know, that's so not my expertise. Yeah. Right? So I'm having to learn bookkeeping on my own and then, you know, uh, I'd try and do that. So there's yeah. also the education teaching myself um, my own educational component so I can be just so I can do the basic task, which yeah. is why you hire a professional. They're trained in these tasks, right? Yeah, exactly. And so. then for you, I mean, you can even set up your system. So you get the book, you can be dialed in, you know exactly mm-hmm. what metrics to look at. Like right. how many new clients did you get? The revenue per client, like those things. Right. Totally. So I want to step back a little bit to compliance. You know, when we think about, there's a quote that I still use and it was state of California, which we already know is a little bit more complicated than most states, but the average cannabis business will spend $200,000 on compliance every year, their first year. And maybe it would go down. Yeah, it would go down not a huge significant portion percentage wise down, but then it would go down every year. So from your experience, like, can you just break down the cost of compliance? Like that's a big question, right? So how, how you want to interpret it? And then I'll ask maybe some follow-up questions. Right. Well, you know, you have to be creative in the Mm -hmm. the exact resources that you're going to spend in compliance. Um, One of the bigger factors is security. Uh, safety. Um, that's That tends to be a bigger cost. Uh, so you're looking at, for example, camera systems that could uh, record who is operating at one point or another, mm-hmm. um, handling the, the product. Um, you know, most camera systems run about two, $300 per camera um, in about $6,000 per, uh, per DVD set, um, to match the recording requirements. Um, and those DVDs can only take 16 cameras. Um, Mm. so every time you expand to your 17th camera, uh, or your 30, you know, your 33rd camera, um, you're, you're looking at buying another $6,000, um, DVD set. Um, so that's one, you know, one factor you have to take into account. How big is your operating space? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the next uh, factor in compliance, I would say this is probably the biggest factor in compliance, is your environment. Um, a lot of people, a lot of operators are short on cash, so they look for the cheapest um, in the, the cheapest place that they can really hit, whether that be an outdoor cultivation uh, or an indoor warehouse. Um, and one of the, the first things that I recommend to clients at all times when they're starting up is getting environmental tests done. Because if your warehouse is full of asbestos, if it's mm-hmm. full of black mold, if it's full of lead paint or heavy metals, all of that's going to leach into your product. Um, cannabis is a very uh, absorbent um, plant. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and just like um, sunflowers are or strawberries, right? Where they easily take up everything that's in the soil. Um, in fact, it's uh, here in Colorado, we've been talking about planting hemp uh, in Rocky Flats. Um, and I don't know if you're, mm. you, you might be familiar, Rocky Flats is an area that they used to make nuclear bombs. 
Um, oh, whoa. And so here in Colorado, yeah, here in Colorado, that was the, the area that the federal government used to use to, to make nuclear bombs at. And so it's, you know, it's an, it's an area, they've shut it down, <laughs> obviously, yeah. but it still is an area that is, um, has a lot of heavy metals, has a lot of toxins, has a lot of, you know, chemical spills that occurred over the years. So planting hemp there, um, they're hoping that, you know, it can absorb all those toxins. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that's, that's something that every operator should be aware of is their environment. Um, you know, if you're in a poor warehouse, you're going to be hitting um, terrible testing. Um, and that's, I think, one of the the factors that also goes into compliance is your testing results. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Tests run about $400 to $600 per gram. Um, and you usually need four to five tests uh, to pass through this industry. So the fact is that they're going to be testing uh, your heavy metals. They're going to be testing your microbials. Um, they're going to be testing your uh, your solvents, um, your, uh, your contaminants Mm -hmm. and pesticides. Um, so, you know, any one of those five tests, uh, if they fail, you have to destroy your whole crop and that's thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases. Um, the other, cost of compliance that really drives it up um, is licensing fees. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you got to look at what your state is going to require for licensing fees. Most states, their agencies, their regulatory agencies are self-funded, which means all that tax that the state is collecting, none of that goes into enforcement. (laughs) So all of that, so that's why licensing fees are so high is because that's the only way that enforcement agency is actually making money to, to continue to work. Um, I know that's the case with the, the BCC in mm-hmm. California. That's the case in Colorado, Washington, um, and New Mexico, um, is that they're all, you, you got to look at those fees because they're going to be $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 a year. Or, or even more, some of the cultivation sites, because then also what I, at least in certain states I've seen is that you've got local fees mm-hmm. and licenses and state fees and licenses. Yeah, exactly. And it hits you. It hits yeah. you hard. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, cash flow issues. I've seen cash flow issues that mm-hmm. require the licensing just to get in at the last minute um, because yeah. they they didn't have the money until then. They weren't saving up the money um, until last minute. Yeah. Um, so I think those those factors, security, mm-hmm. environment, um, testing, and licensing, those are the big three, uh, big four, sorry, yeah. big four compliance cost. Wow. Okay, that's good. And then from your experience, you know, there's sometimes like, the war stories of, oh, if you've gone through an audit, what could happen? I had Mm -hmm. back in 2016, 2017, um, 
the founder of Adherence Compliance, and he mentioned, you know, oh, he had seen upwards of $700,000 of a compliance fine. That being, you know, it started with something small, and then the investigators continued to look and look and look, and then a fine increased, increased, increased. You know, from your experience being in this industry for, you know, for quite some time, what are the average fines that you are seeing cannabis businesses have? Not the not the horror horror stories, but the average mm-hmm. that you see. Usually, it's about six figures. It is um, six figures. So yeah, it goes anywhere from two to from one to two hundred thousand. Wow. Um, you know the when the regulatory agencies um, do identify compliance violations. I mean, he's right. It's usually a domino effect. Mm-hmm. It's one thing that becomes another thing that becomes another thing. I mean, um, you know, I do have war stories I can share. Um, you know, one of the smallest things, um, was that, uh, a dispensary, um, was mis, uh, mislabeled the cost of a product. And so it came from one customer complaint. Um, the agency came in, looked at the product, said that that product should have been two hundred dollars, and the the sale was about three fifty. Um, what that caused was a investigation to mm. that one product, the mm. mislabeled product, to see if it actually matched what it was uh, what it was advertised about. Right, the big the violation would be uh, truth in advertising. Um, so what they discovered when they retested that product was that there were actually heavy metals in the product that never got caught um, before then. So they looked at the seed to sell tracking system, saw that this product had skipped part of that uh, seed to sell tracking system. Now they continue to open up their investigation to what other products are skipping uh, testing. Um, and then they're going all the way back to the cultivation where they discovered an outbreak of E. coli that could oh have been, God. yeah, that could have been completely permitted because they were storing, um, that product in a wet area. Um, so this, you know, this investigation's continuing on <laughs> and those are just, like factors building on each other, right? Now the cult, now they're looking into a full cultivation and manufacturing investigation, all because it started with an incorrect cell. Oh, right. So my God, all it started Logan. was one dis- one employee at a dispensary rung up the wrong product. The tip of the iceberg. Yeah, the tip of the compliance iceberg. It's gone. It's gone all the way back to looking at their cultivation. Um, Another thing they actually found at the cultivation is that they were overproducing. Like they were only paying for, I think a tier two. So that Mm. only was 36,000, 3,600 plants. Mm. And they had 5,000 plants. Oh my God. So it was, They did not have a good day. No, it is, it is a incredible investigation that, that started with something in, very simple. Yeah. Uh, oh truth in advertising, right? Truth in advertising. Yeah. And um, yeah. 
Okay. And now I feel like we've put a lot of fear in people, which I don't want to do. And I think this is like, <laughs> enter knight in yeah. shining armor with a Superman. Yeah. Like, what does Logan do? And so Logan, like, you are a compliance guy. And so mm-hmm. I always think about it, like, from an accountant perspective, if people had consulted me earlier, they wouldn't have been in the same mess. Right. How could, I guess, paint the picture of what could that business have done at the very beginning to avoid what had happened because it's it's not like that could happen that could happen if you don't do anything but there's a way that that doesn't have to happen well yeah i mean the first thing like i said environmental studies Mm. right yeah hire a uh industry hygienist um or a uh pe a professional engineer Mm. to come in and take a look at the warehouse and look at the environment right the e coli the heavy metal failing both of those would have been prevented simply if they looked at where they were cultivating, if they looked Mm -hmm. at the building um, and the space that they were cultivating at, Um, and then take those results and really consider them, right? Really consider if the risks are high enough that you could avoid using this room or you can avoid using this patch of ground. Um, and as a compliance officer, that would be something that I would work with immediately, right? Mm-hmm. I would work with the PE and the or the the industry hygienist um, to identify where those risks are and present them. Um, you know, secondly, uh, monitoring uh, how much uh, you're licensed for, um, and that's yeah. a, another thing, right? You. You get a license as an owner operator, but then you don't educate your staff on what the limits of that that um, that license allows, what the permission and the limits are. Um, and so, if you just have a staff that you say, "Go, go, go, grow cannabis," and, yeah, you know, and they just go out there and they just, yeah, I love growing cannabis. And so they just grow a bunch of it and they don't recognize, right? There's never been that education, first part, education about what their limits are so that they 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 are looking at their skill results of what can we do? What can mm. we do? Um, and then, you know, secondly, uh, at, or thirdly, after monitoring that, doing internal audits, you got to look at what else they're, they're applying. What's the fertilizer, the nutrients, Mm. what are the pesticides that they may be using? Um, Are they reaching um, worker protection standards? Um, Even though it's not legal, uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture still has jurisdiction over worker protection standards and basic agricultural um uh resources right basic agricultural um compliance means so they could come in and say that respirator doesn't fit for this type of pesticide and there's another citation um and so you know you, you have to look at that and then then you have to look at the transportation. How is how is the product being transported? Mm. Now, in California, you have two different transporters. In Colorado, the business itself can be a transporter. Um, and then look at what the test results are. Um, you got to get the most bang for your buck out of the labs that you're working with. Um, and that doesn't mean that those labs are going to forge their results either. 
you know, they're, they're going to give you, they should give you honest results. Hopefully. Um, yeah. Cause that's going to mitigate your risk. Right. I mean, another, another advice I have is make smaller batches. Um, because if one of those batches fail, then you only have to destroy that one batch. You don't have to destroy the whole harvest. So you make yeah. smaller harvest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just more frequently. And um, we can we can transpose that advice from cultivation to a manufacturer, yeah. right? Yeah. You can Absolutely. don't manufacture the extraction process, small batch, right? Right. Like, yeah. Okay. You're right. Small make small batches, right? Um, and then and of course that's gonna affect your supply chain, that's gonna affect your demand. But, you know, the, it mitigates the risk. It highly mitigates the risk um, because you don't have to destroy the whole production batch or the whole cultivation batch. Yeah, and I'm sure you could work with a good inventory forecaster and get your sales process mm-hmm. right so then it doesn't interrupt cash flow so much, right? Like yeah. there's a definitely a way you could figure that out with small batches and a good grower yeah. would definitely be able to figure that out. Exactly. And then, you know, you got to look at the retail level as mm. well um because that's where this whole thing started was at the retail level yeah so you know get a good pci get a good you know point of sale system as mm. well there are good point of sale systems out there there are bad point of sale systems out there um you know they and, and they all have their reviews and the bad ones have a lot of errors um that they that don't always get fixed uh, correctly. Um, and then train your staff, right? The, the staff have to know the product. Um, the, the staff have to also know the whole supply chain product because that's the public facing point. Yep. Um, if someone comes in and they say, you know, what's, the, what's this blue kudo? Where did it come from? Um, you know, how was it produced? They're going to be talking to the to the dispensary person, um, the person right there facing the public. They're not going to be talking, right? The public's not calling up um, Kudo, yeah, <laughs> Blue Kudo and saying, what's your GMP process? You know, can you show me a certificate of analysis? That's the knowledge that the, the point, uh, the dispensary people have to be. A lot of dispensary employees don't even know what a certificate of analysis is. Oh my gosh. So yeah, so it just, you know, they get the, the product right there. They open up the product. They're like, oh, here's another piece of paper with the product and throw it away. Um, and they never look at it to know, you know, how safe is this product? How, uh, what could this product really, what does this product really have in the terms of terpenes, lipinoids, um, the different types of THC, right? We have yeah. THC 8, 9, 10, um, THC deltas, um, THC V, which is a new one now. I was like, so, I don't know any of these now. I'm, I'm old school. I'm, too, I'm not old school in a good way. Okay. So, right. These are all new cannabinoids that affect, you know, the quality and the, uh, the health effects of the, the people taking it. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so yeah, that's, you know, that, that's, that's really where all the education goes into. Yeah, I, I, I love it. Um, I actually have to wrap up the podcast. So I think I'm going to have to get you on another one where we could do some, you know, maybe listener Q&A. Maybe we could do a live with some <laughs> listeners just to see what their sure. Q&A is. I, I'm actually 
I'll invite you. I'm going to do a talk on wisdom. It's like, um, it's a little bit like clubhouse, but a little bit different. And so maybe you and I can have like a Q and a session in January where people can come and ask questions because you're such a wealth of knowledge. And I like the principle that you started out with, with the ears, that acronym, because mm-hmm. The point is you can get very detailed into compliance, but when you kind of take that step back of how you are kind of building education around everything, that's Mm -hmm. the beginning of yours. I think the big takeaway, and please, this is kind of the last question for you, but what my observation is, is really understand and take that step back when you think about compliance and think about how you can approach it holistically and not necessary and kind of that process of compliance so you can feel comfortable with what you're doing. But if you, the last question for you is what's that one takeaway you want our listeners to have? Uh, your compliance department is your education department. Um, it might not, you know, it might not be your training department, but it's definitely your education department. They're not your penalty department. They're not the ones who should sit there and penalize you. They're the ones who should educate you. Yeah, that's excellent. And how can our listeners find you? Uh, well, they can reach out to me uh, at my email, ldglegal1 at gmail.com. Um, they can also uh, reach out to me um, through uh, the Community College of Denver, where we have, uh, we're presenting the first cannabis business degree. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, or they can also reach out to me through Modi, um, mm-hmm. Modi and company. Um, and, uh, I believe L Goolsby at M I O D dash com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you, Simone. It's been great. Thanks so much for listening to this week's show. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this, leave us a five-star review. Make sure that you share this episode on your social media and tag us in the Instagram stories. You can find us wherever you go on social media. Just look up Cannabis Business Minds. Have an idea for the show or something that you want to talk about? Shoot us an email at podcast at cannabisbusinessminds.com.